In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, sponsored by Anderson Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation, Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. I have three guests on the show today. And before I get to the two important ones, let me introduce Warren Spiewak. Warren, how did you horn your way onto my show? Hey, I love how you have two important ones and then there's me. <laughs> well, well, for those of you who, who don't know, Warren is the host of OGGN's Oil and Gas Pitch Podcast. And in many ways, he's become the face of OGGN. And I guess he is an important guest today because the reason he's on the <laughs> The reason he's on the show is because he arranged for my two guests. And today we're going to be talking about the environment, the E and HSE, as we discuss spills in the oil field. We'll explore things like how you prevent them, how you clean them up, and how you pay for them uh, with two insurance experts who see these kinds of claims all the time. And so, Warren, I'm going to ask you to introduce our guests. But before you do, since you are the face of OGGN, let's take a moment and tell all the HSE listeners out there about the entire lineup of OGGN podcasts. All right. I'm happy to do that. And so, yes, I'm very much part of OGGN, the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anyone who knows me well enough or watches my show, which is the Pitch Podcast, you know that my background and my entire livelihood really comes from the insurance industry. I'm going on 20 years of helping and consulting business owners and entrepreneurs, just pretty much about everything when it comes to insurance. So with that, I would just say OGGN, when I became part of it, yes, I've got the pitch podcast, but there is so much going on. You know, I, I'm very, I'm leading the street team with OGGN. And as far as pods go, anyone who's listening to this, I want you to know there are a few new shows that have just come out that are really amazing. We've got the Women Offshore podcast with Ali Cedeno, and we also have this really amazing podcast, too, that just got released, and it's got thousands and thousands of downloads already, and that's the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. It's brand new, came out, sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and the hosts, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson, the two of them, what they really get into is clean energy and like what, what's going on inside the oil and gas industry for things such as environmental, social, and governance issues. So already, if you listen in, you can hear about some really great things going on in the oil and gas industry that relate to basically social responsibility and sustainability. And it just, it's really a worthwhile listen. And that's really it. I mean, a lot of our podcasts, I could name them all. But if you go to the OGGN.com website, you will see all of our shows and you could just click one that really interests you. And of course, the premier or the flagship podcast is Mark LaCour's Oil and Gas This Week. I was talking to Mark today. In the next couple of days, he's going to be recording a podcast and he's going to talk about these surging oil prices that we've seen in the last few days. So Warren, introduce our guest for us. All right. So today, what you have to know is my insurance career has led me to working with partners in the oil and gas industry. Obviously, I have a influence, you know, 
working with oil and gas companies, the service providers. And so sometimes when it comes to really assisting and helping a client, what you want to do is you want to bring product experts. And when you were talking, Russ, about wanting to do a show about about pollution, two people's names kind of came to mind. And so the first one is Jennifer Meyer. She's from one of the, the top brokers that I work with, which is Amwins. She's in this day in, day out, you know, and, and I know when it comes to when you talk offshore, when you talk maritime employers liability, which for those of you that don't know about that, this is going to be really a chance for new understanding. Jennifer is really somebody who she's my go-to. She's the product expert that I love talking to. And one of the things, and Jennifer, before we sound off, I want to say, you know, one of the things that's going on for 2021 is companies, especially those that are operating offshore and speaking of sustainability and being proactive, what are some of the biggest line items you're seeing on your expense sheet? It's the cost of doing business, the cost of insurance. And so this is the year, and I I hope anyone listening to this will really let this resonate, but this is the year to take a look under the hood. There are all these different performance-based endorsements and exclusions that you need to know about, which I'm hoping and I'm expecting, and I know we're going to do a great job of it to get into today. So with that, I will introduce Jennifer. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm doing great, Warren. Thank you for having me on this podcast today. And I know you brought, you're someone you have a tremendous amount of respect for, Joseph. And Joe, if you don't mind just saying hello and and maybe just sharing with us and the audience, like, what your role is and and your company and what you guys do and and how you are connected to Jennifer and I. Sure, absolutely. Yes. You know, like yourself, I've been in the insurance more years than I can count. I've been in this business for almost 25 years, primarily on the environmental side. Geologist by background, spent a number of years actually in the environmental business as an environmental consultant and got involved in environmental insurance over 25 years ago and have watched this industry morph over time. And in the last five years, founding member of EIURS, which specializes in energy insurance across oil and gas, as well as alternative energy, and still keep my fingers in the environmental pie as well. So and that's kind of where I come to meeting with Jennifer and being involved in the energy insurance marketplace, and particularly with the pollution liability issues associated with that. Awesome. And I forgot, Russ, you can punch me in the arm when you see me. But so that's Joseph Kulak, vice president of EIURS. So with that, Russ, I'm handing it back over to you. And I'm just going to pepper you with any kind of genius comments I can share through the episode. (laughs) And I can't wait. (laughs) Hey, Joe and Jennifer, let's start right there. Let's talk about pollution liability insurance. Just kind of briefly, for those of us who don't have insurance backgrounds, what is that? Jennifer, let me take that. Sure, Joe. I guess it's a very generalized term. I'll try to keep it in a, in a simple manner. But the reality of it is, is back in the late 70s and early 1980s, pollution exclusions arrived into the general liability marketplace. They go by the names of total pollution or absolute pollution exclusion, the one that has pretty much held up the standard in policies to date is what they call the total pollution exclusion. And basically, the entire environmental insurance industry is surrounded around with providing insurance solutions in lieu of that pollution exclusion. So 
where we get involved in that business is combining policies and bringing a pollution liability coverage, if you want to call it, to those policies to fill that gap, major gap in coverage. And when you look at the oil and gas business, obviously there's a lot of pollution liability exposures, everything from you know quick spills, pipelines breaking open, the things that might be more long-term impacting a business, uh, more gradual in nature, slow leakage of tanks over time, things of that nature. And our job is to work with folks like Jennifer who bring these issues to light to clients and trying to come up with a solution to provide coverage for that. So I, I kind of view pollution liability as a twofold exposure, sudden and accidental. You know, something blows up, spills, breaks, you have an immediate exposure to the environment, as well as, again, gradual, something that you might not notice for a number of years, or something that may very well could have been done legally today, but tomorrow or in the future, turns out was a more of a well-known pollutant or becomes, a, or becomes a contaminant. And I think the unusual part of the way our legal system works is unlike typical exposures in construction where you've got a statute repose or statute limitations, there is no statute repose or statute limitations in environmental or pollution liability cases. The EPA has very broad governance abilities to bring claims and, and issues to businesses in the future for things that they very well could have done properly today. And so our goal and the goal of my in my industry is to cover those exposures today as well as in the future. And I think it's really important to point out that working with a retail agent or a wholesale broker that's very well versed in the industry is very important so they can help identify the types of pollution coverages you need and the exposures and work with partners like EIURS to tailor the coverage to your specific needs. Okay. So you just threw out a couple of terms there that since my wife is in the insurance business, I know what you're talking about, but maybe people who are listening don't when you've mentioned retail and wholesale. So Jennifer, you're the retail side, correct? I'm the wholesale side. So I work between the retail agent and the insured. Which was, so that's the thing is my life day in, day out is I'm sitting in these boardrooms and I'm dealing with real companies. And it might, like, it's so easy to think pipeline when, you know, or think about all these different pollute, these obvious pollution risks that some industries are in, but it's common. And and this is just me raising my hand, Russ, to say, I'm very much a retail agent. I'm consulting these companies. And then when I'm uncovering, for an example, just yesterday, I was in a, a valve manufacturing plant. And when I'm reviewing their products, these valves, if something goes wrong, the product liability that's there is not going to include pollution. You have to have a separate standalone solution just for environmental pollution, et cetera. And so when this occurs, what I'm able to do is I go to the top of the top of the market and I deal with directly with Jennifer. She brings guys like Joe into the mix and we are literally representing the client to find the very best top performing solution. So that I should have done a better job of explaining that, but really Jennifer and Joe are these go-to places where when I'm working for a client, when they know it's right and when they're reviewing the policy and when we're competing against the marketplace, we're doing it to win and win for the client. 
Okay, I'm good. So we will definitely warn, we'll have your contact information in the show notes, along with Jennifer and Joe, if that's all right, in case somebody wants to contact them with a question or, or something like that. So Joe, you mentioned, I think the term sudden and accidental. So an example of a sudden and accidental claim would be, for example, lightning striking a tank battery, catching it on fire, spilling oil all over the place. But then you mentioned another condition where it's something that, that occurs over time. And are these two different coverages? I think so. We'll try to explain it in a, in a context coupled with general liability insurance. So as I mentioned previously, GL policies have a total pollution exclusion in there. And it has stood the test of time in the courts of law to decline claims for pollution, which may be obvious or even new type pollutants. It has been upheld to handle all kinds of interesting exposures, ranging from mold to bed bugs to, if you want to call more the more obvious type things in the oil and gas business, like additives or even crude oil being spilled onto the ground. That pollution exclusion will deny coverage. For your clients. So when we look at what we call a sudden accidental pollution coverage give back, there are a number of standard markets that will give back. There's even an ISO type form. It'll give out for a very small period of time. And usually that small period of time would be less than two days. So here's an example. You have a pipeline leak. You don't notice it till for three days out. You try to get a claim for coverage under your policy but you're going to get declined because you did not discover that incident within the prescribed 48 hours. So I really would call a sudden accidental coverage is very, very narrow in scope. Usually has a limited amount of time that it had to occur, and you've got to find out about it pretty quickly. If you don't know about it quickly and can't find it, isn't found out about in a short period of time, you're not going to have coverage. And so when you look at Pollution coverage, it's going to cover that outside of that sudden accidental. We start to industry wise, we kind of call that gradual pollution exposure. So, again, back to my pipeline leak, maybe it's a slow leak and there's no, nobody notices the pressure drop in the automatic SCADA systems or whatever else might be there to monitor that leak. Or your tank, for instance, isn't noticed that there's a small leak in there. And you finally realize that after six or seven months, say, hey, we've been losing product over the course of these six months. That would be a gradual pollution type exposure. And that is really where you know, Jennifer steps in with her expertise and works with the markets in providing coverage to meet that gradual pollution liability exposure. And that really is, it's either can be written as a completely separate policy, or it can be incorporated at times within general liability policy and a separate coverage amendment to that. Is that helpful in just kind of briefly describing the difference between the two? I think what it just further illustrates is, is this is an extremely, obviously important topic. It's an extremely complicated topic, which is all the more reason why somebody needs to get in touch with someone like Warren so he can work with, with you and, and Jennifer, because there's a lot of potential issues involved here. I think maybe what we might want to talk about is perhaps look at a couple of maybe examples of claims, which I guess you just gave an example just then. Let's talk about what you've seen from these claims. One of the most important things we want to do is we want to prevent pollution. We want to prevent spills. Do you have any 
thoughts on ways operators can be proactive and hopefully not have to use this coverage. I'm going to do a little shameless advertising here on the example that you just mentioned. Those people need to contact Anderson Hauser and get all their measurement instrumentation up to date. <laughs> That's right. Sure. Should I step in again here? I have yeah. kind of three examples within the context of what we've been discussing. So one thing that we that uh, Warren briefly mentioned was products pollution liability. So your standard general liability form will have a products liability component. So your product fails, you have coverage for it. Now, say you are a machine shop or say you're involved in making a downhole well casing or a downhole tool or a coil tubing type of machinery, all pretty standard terms and things that we insure in the oil and gas business. If they do not have a products pollution component within their policy form, they will. if there is a leak in that casing downhole and it impacts a underground water aquifer of some sort, or if you've got a downhole tool that breaks off and breaks casing down the hole and causes a leak to the subsurface environment of some sort, that is going to be a products pollution liability claim. And most of your standard market is not going to provide that. We do because we, that's our, we specialize in that kind of arena, but that would be a good good example of a products pollution liability. And so, Joe, I'm going to, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I want, I almost need to, is I want to remind everybody that when you hear the word standard carrier, you're thinking of all those top brand names that you would just obviously come to the front of mind, right? And so in the more wild west of insurance, you have these really complicated risks and you need carriers to do really things that are just not traditional. And pollution is a perfect example of this. And so when you open your, you kind of open the doors to this kind of need where you're looking for not just pollution coverage, but you really are even, you need the right people around you to know what's in, included in the coverage and excluded because Going back to the slow leak versus sudden and accidental leak, how disappointed would you be if you read a piece of paper that says you got a million dollars of liability, which basically means when your negligence causes harm to a person, place, or thing, and in this case, the environment, and you find out that there's just this little nuance that's got you where you have zero coverage despite all the money you've been paying, despite the fact that you've been giving your clients this amazing certificate of insurance that really isn't amazing at all because it has an exclusion. When Joe's talking about the standard market and, and what we do is we're going, we're basically going to every carrier that we can that's in the business. That's Jennifer and I. And yes, you know, Joe's a big winner for us when we're when we're doing this and we're bringing the winners back and we're funneling the losers meaning the policies that don't really perform off to the side but Jennifer I don't know if that if I did a good job of explaining that but that was kind of I think it's an important part of people understanding how we go to market and how we represent our clients the way that we do You're absolutely correct and I think it's a really important to understand that individuals like Warren who are meeting with insureds, they're gathering really important information for people like me, who's going to be brokering your deal out to specialty markets like Joe's company, EIURS. 
So when they ask questions about your product or your operations, the more details that we have, the more tailored we can make your insurance program and provide the more specific pollution coverages that you have available. And I think it's really important, Warren, when you're meeting with your clients to really understand their loss control programs, their details of any losses that they've had in the past, and how what did they do to correct any issues, especially when they come to pollution-type claims, and really looking at their current program and finding out if the coverages that they currently have apply to all their operations. That's great. So, Jennifer, what should operators do when there is a claim as opposed to what they often do that's wrong in reporting the claim? I think the most important thing is to report the claim as soon as possible. Get in touch with your insurance carrier, which that's information in your policy, and also with your agent to discuss the situation that has occurred and get it turned into the carrier as soon as possible. And that makes me want to say, Russ, did you know that these policies, like when you're reviewing them, this is super keynote, is that there is what's called a reporting period. So in some policies, when you look at them, if you report a claim 61 days after it happened or you were aware of it, it excludes the coverage automatically. And so it's it's these kind of conversations, just like the one we're having now, and obviously it gets very much more customized when you're actually talking to somebody about their policy, but that's the stuff that we're negotiating. And you, you know, you take Joe and his role as an underwriter. We're asking for things. We're asking for different performance-based portions of the policy to be adjusted so that it's in the best interest of the client. The longer the reporting period, the more we know that claim can be called in after it might begin. Okay, and you made a very good point right there, and. I want to ask Jennifer and Joe this. I don't know if they'll want to answer it or not, but you mentioned, for example, you turned the claim in on the 61st day and you had a 60-day reporting period. And I've talked to several insurance companies and underwriters because, again, shameless advertising, I, I have a company that cleans up oil spills and produced water spills. And one of the things that they complain about is how long the insured takes to report the claim, and they may incur a whole lot of expenses before the insurance company is even even aware of it. But why do they have such long reporting periods? Joe here, you mean why do they have such short reporting periods? So in other words, oh, no, 60 days. To, to, to me, 60 days is a long time. It would seem to me like, you know, you would oh, want sure. to do it much sooner than that. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with any kind of pollution liability claim that comes in, whether it's a short-term spill, again, Going back to the, the example of a, of a pipeline break or even a gradual type pollution claim should be reported immediately to the carrier. And I'd almost say, you know, the disadvantage of having maybe a sudden accidental coverage in with a standard carrier is that if a claim comes into that standard carrier, they're not going to be well suited to handle that claim. You know, a pollution liability claim isn't just going to be handled by a claims adjuster. You're going to have a claims adjuster who may need to coordinate an emergency response consulting firm to get on site and expertise. They may, they're probably going to have to immediately incur some environmental lawyers to help work with whatever local department of environmental protection in Texas, TNRCC, or even potentially the EPA. So there's a lot of different moving parts with a pollution liability claim. And it gets exasperated 
if it goes out 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 days. Again, it's not uncommon to see insureds you know, try to handle the problem themselves. The reality of it is almost all those types of claims are going to require numerous experts right out of the gate. And that's where it's really beneficial, almost mandatory, that you work with a carrier that has those kind of people on staff to do it right away and address it and really work on, really working on behalf of the insured to control uh, control the claim, not just from the insurance carrier's part, but also looking at maybe potentially preserve their reputation as well. Now, going back to general liability, part of the coverage in general liability is legal defense. You just mentioned environmental lawyers and that sort of thing. Is there insurance coverage for that in these pollution liability policies? Yeah. So I think what's unusual, what we've seen morph over uh, a period of 25 years is there used to be capped. There used to be a cap on that type of coverage or limit. Legal defense costs might be capped at 25% or 50% of the policy limit, or it might be erodes the policy limit. And Jennifer can probably speak a little more towards the market appetite today for providing legal defense either inside or outside the limit. Our particular policies are all defense outside the limits. So it's not going to erode your actual policy limit that you have. And that limit is really ends up being utilized for actual cleanup costs and not chewing up defense costs. I'm going to make a quick note though. I've been for better or worse, in this business, maybe a little too long. But environmental claims, pollution liability claims, as a general rule of thumb, run about 50% of the costs are legal. And legal, I'm throwing in with legal, that's negotiations with EPA, that could be potential medical experts, and true legal costs. Depending on the type of claim, that could actually run up to 85, 90% of the costs. Professional liability element might run a higher percentage. You know, a quick, sudden, accidental type claim might be a lower percentage. But as a general rule of thumb, pollution claims run about 50% of the cost on defense costs, and they can go much higher than that. Okay, so Jennifer, Joe mentioned that term outside the limits and maybe just get you to jump in there and make sure everyone understands. So you have a million dollar, let's say, pollution liability policy that will pay up to a million dollars for the damage you do to property as a result of your spill. But as Joe mentioned, the legal part of it could be another half a million dollars or even eight or hundred or nine hundred thousand dollars. And so it's very important that you have a policy that will pay not only the million dollar limit, but will also pay over and above that for these legal defense costs. Is that right? That's correct. You'll see a lot of times with the pollution coverage, especially if they're in a included in the general liability policy or standalone, that defense costs is often inside the limits. There are carriers that do provide defense costs outside the limits or offer a separate capped limit for defense cost. So understanding how defense is handled in your primary layer of coverage, which would be GL or standalone pollution is extremely important to help you determine what excess liability limit you may need in the future. Some people, they might buy more coverage because they have a higher pollution exposure and their defense limit on the pollution coverage is inside the limits. So I think just understanding the risk and understanding the, how defense cost is handled 
is key in also deciding how much excess liability coverage you should buy and make sure that the excess liability coverage is going to follow form the underlying pollution coverage that you have for your client. So, you know, I think what I'm learning here, and I hope everybody is hearing this, it's not just a matter of going out and getting three bids from an insurance agent and I'm going to pay the lowest one and, and go from there. This stuff really needs to have a lot of thought put into it. Absolutely. It does. Yep. And I think I think it's really important too. One thing I like to point out and include with my quotes to my agents is the coverage forms and outline to them how defense cost is handled. Because if they don't understand the nuances of how the time element or the sudden accidental terms and conditions work, or how defense is handled, they may be missing a major piece of how the excess liability needs to be set up, which is extremely important and provides them the additional protection that they need. It's so true. And Russ, here's to me kind of like where the devil gets in the details. In the realm of pollution, what's interesting and something to think about is that you don't just have like a potential claimant making a claim against you, but you have all of these regulations that you need to be considering. And you have the fact that even if you were just a link in the chain of events that led to this pollution claim, that you're still going to be named in the lawsuit. So it's not like you're just designing this product between you and your potential customer that is the claimant. You have all of these other outside forces that when something goes wrong in the world of pollution, they are making a claim against you. You are most likely being litigated against in a big way with several different people. And so just things to think about. And it does it is a little bit of a differentiator when you consider just that whole the regulatory requirements that are often and almost always part of a claim relating to pollution. Well, that's exactly right. And Again, I want to thank you guys for coming on and delving into this complicated topic. As we conclude, I want to see if you guys have any ideas on this, but when you have an event, when you have a claim, when you, know, when you have a spill, when something happens, what are best practices for knowing how to respond to the fire, so to speak? So Joe, I'm going to kick that to you just for this reason, right? Is that I know that part of having a great product is what's happening on the claim side. What happens when you call that 1-800 number in your policy to say, holy crap, you know, there's a problem. What are the professional services that come forward when a client's really making a claim? Sure. Absolutely. I can try to summarize this as quickly as I can. Depending on the type of claim, whether you're working with a contractor, welder, or facility, machine shop, or a petrochem refinery or a biogas plant, whatever that exposure might be. A lot of things are looking in place from a risk management standpoint, if there's even any kind of risk management resources available, or if there's a risk manager or even a health and safety officer of some sort. We tell you're looking for what they call like an SPCC or spill prevention control plan. You might, as underwriters, are typically looking for mechanisms in place from a health and safety standpoint. You know, people are routinely working in a hazardous environment. They're required to have a certain amount of OSHA training, OSHA 40-hour hazmat-type training. If they're in a supervisory position, we're looking for eight-hour, 16-hour supervisory-type training. So we're looking at companies, what 
preventive measures, what kind of training have they provided their employees to help handle a hazardous situation as it occurs on a sudden accidental basis? And if we're looking at facilities or a pipeline, we're looking for the most up-to-date electronic monitoring systems that they would have in place, pressure drop monitoring systems. A lot of those things we're looking at from under, from underwriters. Again, if we're looking at you know, a fixed facility that's aged or needs to be updated, they're going to be looking for advisory services from a loss control standpoint. Insurance companies have a lot of loss control type inspection services. While they're not necessarily going to be in a position to you know, actually, you know, put in electronic monitoring or whatever that might be, they are in a position to provide advisory services. And I think Jennifer could certainly expand upon the variety of type of loss control services available from an insurance company and come out and take a look at and say, hey, this is this is an area you really need to you know focus in on your health and safety because it's going to prevent potential contaminant from escaping and hurting someone from a human health environment. Or looking at it from you know, you really need to upgrade your systems here to the most modern SCADA technology, which is going to benefit you in the long run if you do have a claim, because it's going to be contained. You're looking for the ability to contain a situation as quickly as possible. And Joe, I think it's really important. I find a lot of success when we have the loss control teams from our retail agent counterparts join in with the carrier's loss control teams to help identify these issues too. Yeah, we do this all the time. It's it's so common for a lot of agents just to take what they see and it, just accept it. Whereas somebody who's, when you have risk management and loss control as part of the agency, which we do, this means that between the wholesaler, the carrier, and even what we're doing at the ground floor level of actually sharing the subjectiveness of what's going on in the company, at the job sites, Telling the story, the best way I would give it like an analogy or metaphor, whichever it is, is like when you're applying for a bank loan, do you just want someone looking at the credit score and making the decision or is there always a story? And that story in the insurance world is what's achieving added credits. It's also helping you have more resources from a claim standpoint, and it really makes a difference. So totally loss control and risk management is such a wonderful part of dealing with a really great firm. We do that. Jennifer is a huge resource for a lot of information. And I love having her as a partner when we have opportunities like this. And then as much as I love Joe, I want to just say this. I know the episode's almost over. As much as I love Joe, my loyalty isn't to him. Our loyalty is to the client. So Joe has to compete case by case, policy by policy to be a winner. Just so happens he wins a lot. But the point is, is we go to market and we really do the job to make sure when we come back to home base, you're looking at winners, high performing products, and financially and mathematically, it should be absolutely completely sound to the marketplace. Well, Joseph and Jennifer, thank you again for coming on. I know we've just scratched the surface. If anyone wants to continue this conversation, as we said, we're going to put Warren's contact information in the show notes. Warren, thanks for putting this together. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes. And please tune in again next week. 
for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable partner for measurement instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Anderson Hauser by looking in the show notes for our website link at cx.enders.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and register for our monthly podcast giveaway there. Also posted is the LinkedIn and Twitter links. See you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SBE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.